and welcome to another episode of the Biosat Podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the editorial team, and I'm happy to have on the show today Don Buchman, Vice President and GM of Commercial Aviation here at Biosat. And Don, you were one of the very first guests on the podcast when we started it a couple of years ago. So welcome back. How's it going? Oh, thanks. Great. Yeah, I'm actually glad I set a good tone. I think we didn't kill the, <laughs> we didn't kill the podcast series. You know, yeah, no. Going, so I feel that's an accomplishment, nothing else. Yeah. Well, I know a lot has happened since uh, the last time we had you on here. I, I mean, it's it's no secret that the last two years have been pretty challenging for the aviation industry. Uh, at the same time, things are picking up quite a bit. And, and for Viasat's area of interest uh, in flight connectivity, it's probably safe to say things are booming. So let's dive in and talk about some of the trends you're seeing out there, Don. Sounds great. Yeah. You know, the number of aircraft globally that are offering uh, IFC is up about 28% each year since 2010, so the statistics tell us. And even with the pandemic and all the challenges that airlines have faced, they're really continuing to push connectivity for both passengers and crew. So what do you think is behind the growth and demand here? Well, I mean, I think it's the natural, I mean, just if you forward project what we've expecting all along, right? That it was, you know, we expected, you know, more and more people want to be connected. It's, it's become a fabric of our life. And I think the pandemic and the environment that it put all of us into sort of made us more connected than less connected, right? From education from home, work from home, everything else. Now we've, we've picked up a lot more subscriptions. We've gotten used to our devices. And I think as people venture back out, they expect that, right? They, they're kind of not going back to where they were prior. They expect to carry that forward. It's, uh, we're seeing that trend from the passengers, from the airlines themselves. Plus airlines, you know, took the pandemic and they've a lot of older fleets got grounded. They're buying new aircraft. And so with those new aircraft, they want the latest and greatest features. And connectivity is one of the, probably the number one amenity that's being requested, especially for narrow-body aircraft. Is it? Yeah. I imagine that's true since, yeah, you're definitely seeing a lot more people uh, on flights using their own devices. So, well, at least to the next question here about accessibility for Wi-Fi in the air. There seems to be growing interest in the industry about airlines transitioning to a free Wi-Fi model. And you know, some have this now, of course, like our customers, JetBlue, Qantas, uh, La Compagnie. Others still prefer a paid model. Of course, everyone loves free, and I imagine it can lead to more passenger engagements. Uh, but are there other benefits? Yes. I mean, so quite a few, right? So we, we, we'd always talk about why would you put this system on your airplane, I take, you know, go, go through all the pain of taking your aircraft out of service, putting this equipment on for only six to 8% of your passengers use it, right? You want to get as much utility out of it. So first and foremost, you want to have the ability to have everyone interact with the system and use it, get some value out of it. And I think, you know, regardless of business model, you know, and I mean, business model, you know, where the airline might give it away as amenity, like they do Coke and peanuts, you know, for the, you know, off the drink cart. Or, you know, have it as a fee service, right? You know, charge for fee. But either way, there's a lot of ways, you know, depending on which business model, there's still ways of getting everyone on board, you know, and using a system, whether it be, you know, delivering television, you know, live television, delivering, you know, entertainment content, delivering, you know, free sponsored access, right? So we've had a lot of success in that area, partnering with Apple Music and TikTok and Fubo TV. So you can sort of see a lot there. And then some is just, you know, basically want to be free, right? The airline is, you know, wants to be connected with their passengers. And, you know, one of the number one things requested is, is free. And they want everyone just, we, we always said way back when it was like, you know, we knew there was a lot of demand for the product because what happened as soon as the airplane landed, everyone took their device out of their pocket, turned it on and wanted to see what happened. And they didn't do that because they were waiting to land. They did it because that was the first access they had to it. So if they had that access in the air, they would do it. And we're seeing that with free. 
Yeah. Well, overall, I think a lot of us have just gotten to where we, we don't want to pay for Wi-Fi anywhere, <laughs> except maybe for us, we have to pay for it in our homes. Sure. Yeah. We always talk about that, right? You know, the, you know, the hotels were kind of the paradigm, right? When you first started yeah. hotels, you're $15 a night, then it became part of the resort fee that it was just an expected amenity to be there, you know, that, that you just get. And that's kind of, you know, we, everyone sort of expects airplanes to do it. It's a very difficult place to put it, but that's kind of what we're, for us, that's an opportunity, not a detractor. Right. Yeah. And it's probably true that a, a lot of the aircraft that we serve have better Wi-Fi than a lot of hotels because it's usually pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, we aim to deliver a consistent, good experience, right? So it's, you know, we want to have, a, have, have an experience. I think we've done it. I think we, we've held up that mark of delivering mm-hmm. you know, an expected performance in a terrestrial environment. Yeah. So, you know, if free Wi-Fi uh, does become more more common on aircraft, it's going to create a lot more demand for bandwidth, especially if everyone's streaming video and their own connected devices instead of using the old seatback thing. So how is uh, Vicep positioned to accommodate that kind of demand? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole point, right? We didn't, we weren't trying to serve today's demand, right? We, you know, we're launching satellites and have a whole roadmap of satellite capacity. And you, know, you think of a satellite roadmap as kind of two dimensions, it's capacity depth, you know, how much capacity can I serve in any region? And then how many regions can I serve? And so that's been the whole thesis, right? We don't expect connectivity. You can read any Sandvine or Cisco report and it's showing, you know, 15 to 20% year over year increase for bandwidth consumption per unit. You know, so even though you know, I went from 3G to 4G to 5G, right? I, I still pay the same bill to my telco provider, but I'm getting a lot more data for each one of those services. And that's just because things like streaming or social media or driving, you know, higher things than you know, the past applications, which might've been email and messaging. So we, our, our whole roadmap has been along that way. We've been talking about it for years. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what we're suited is to not just serve today's demand, but basically prep for tomorrow's demand and be ready ahead of it. And yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing, adding capacity with new satellites here in just a little bit. But first I wanted to ask about, you know, we've got, man, this past year has just been a big one. So we saw several new customers announcing or entering into service with the Viasat system. And uh, those include Delta, Virgin Atlantic, KLM, Iceland Air, Porter Airlines, and and some others. So Don, what are we doing right out there? What's going on? Well, (laughs) we're really smart. Uh, oh yeah, okay. We well, I mean, we you know, that was kind of a, you go back to the beginning when we entered the IFC market. It was pretty crowded already, right? We were the first player in the market, um, but our hypothesis was there was a lot of demand, and it wasn't, and there was no one was solving the supply problem. And it was kind of it goes back to the example I gave you earlier, where everyone's sort of when the plane landed, everyone wanted to get online. And in fact, you know, when we were entering the market. It wasn't that there was there was a lot of demand. There was actually our the providers and industry were actually trying to divert people from doing that, right? So they were charging very high prices to reduce take rates or doing having policies such that you couldn't stream video, right? So it wasn't wasn't that they recognized the demand. They were actually trying to suppress the demand. And it was right. we saw that as an opportunity. We still think that's the fundamental, you know, basically that was the fundamental premise of delivering connectivity is be able to serve all the natural demand and then grow with it. And so our satellites, you know, our premise was there. We kind of launched way back in 2013 with JetBlue with free, you know, to every service included video streaming. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't looked back and we just continue to do that. And I think that's, uh, I think that message and that service and product is resonating, you know, with the industry. And does it seem to you like the Viasat name uh, for in-flight connectivity is sort of like the gold standard in the industry? 
Yeah. I mean, that's what I strive for. I mean, I'm really proud of our team, right? I mean, I think when I hear Viset, they think of, they know it's going to work, right? When you kind of, in this industry, that brand name has connotations of dependability, reliability, scale. So, you know, I'm going to pick that brand and that brand's going to be able to grow and do what I want, right? Whether it pivot on business model or serve my customers or bring in a third-party partner or serve my flight deck or be entertainment, right? We've been serving all those needs across the board and we've been able to, you know, do each one of those. You know, we've always said entertainment can't be connectivity, but connectivity can be entertainment. I think that's proven out, you know, with how much Netflix and Amazon Prime and Instagram, TikTok, we see streaming audio, streaming video, live television. So we're, you know, we're able to serve kind of whatever the market's demanding and then some. And it's not one size fits all. It's, you know, we have the capacity, so we're able to adapt and fit each particular airline kind of what they want to do for their brand and their passengers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I mentioned Delta just a little bit ago, and you know they're a pretty big customer now. And we we did over, I guess, three hundred installations last year on aircraft for Delta, which is pretty amazing because it's a pretty complex installation. So I mean, what type of efforts required to make that happen on such a large scale? Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, well, first off, the airline as a partner, right? We we partnered with American Airlines several years ago and had a similar ramp, and then with Delta, we partnered, and you know, I can't. My hat's off to the airline, right? Because they really committed, they were committed to the end result, which was get this many aircraft tied in. And we sort of give that you know, end line and you work your way backwards. We all figure out what we had to do. We all got to work, rolled up our sleeves and executed. And so execution is the certification, right? You need to get those on time. It's, it's not a one-way street, right? We have to work with the airline. So Delta themselves. Um, we have to work on production, right? How many aircraft can get taken out of service? How fast can the install done? Make sure that we manage our supply chain such that we have production equipment ready to install at the time the airplane is pulled out of service. Make sure there's a crew ready. So it's it's working many feats on all those things at one time, plus all the software, plus making sure when those aircraft came onto our network, we had the right amount of capacity for them. It was a new airline. You know, we didn't have an airline that was based out of Atlanta prior, right? So we had to make sure that we could you know, had the supply density ready to go, you know, for there. So it was, it was, it was quite an, an orchestration, but it's something we're really good at. Um, something we pride ourselves on and we take, we, we've invested a lot into the tools to not only plan at the start, but also keep up and manage it throughout. Did um, the pandemic actually have kind of a silver lining that it made it a little easier to take some aircraft uh, out of service when they weren't as busy or, or how did that work? Yeah. I mean, that's what we heard. You know, that's, I think one of the things Delta had said was maybe you know, while they're, they're not flying their full schedule, they have a little bit more aircraft availability. So let's, let's make lemonade out of that, you know, out of those lemons and we'll be able to you know, utilize that downtime of aircraft to get installs done. So that was part of the commitment, right. To manage their, you know, as their demand for their passengers and air travel ebbed and flowed, you know, we were able to ebb and flow and make sure that we took advantage of all the ebbs to get installations done, but make sure that they had enough aircraft, you know, they were managing it. So we kept up with them and sort of followed their lead, uh, making sure that, you know, we showed up at the right spot at the right time. Right. Yeah. Well, definitely uh, an impressive number of planes. And of course, they're just one customer. We've been installing lots of others as well. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, throughout it, you mentioned the, the numbers zone, we've been doing line fit programs, we've been, you know, keeping up, we've gotten, you know, into wide bodies with America, and we've kind of around the world, you know, we couldn't travel to places, you know, like China and Europe, right? And we, we did a few STCs, I remember with KLM, that were completely almost hands-off, completely uh-huh. remote, you know, where we're working with the airline partner. And so, you know, every one of the airlines has been 
fantastic to work with, um, really committed to the product and getting it on, which is what we'd expect, right? If you're going to put this product on, you're actually committed to it. And so it's, it's not unexpected, but it, it does make for the success of the entry in a product and, you know, in service. So uh, moving on, you know, one of the big challenges for good in-flight Wi-Fi, other than installing it correctly, is that uh, the service is consistent throughout the flight. And our executive chairman, Mark Dankberg, has has spoken publicly about the importance of what's called capacity density to the IFC market, as well as our ability to manage capacity supply in areas where demand is highest. And, you know, as we know, that demand can change throughout the day and even hour to hour. So what is Viasat's approach to that demand challenge and how might it differ from our competitors? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, it's fundamentally to the design, you know, basically we look at where's the demand, you know, so Mark talks about the supply capacity, supply density, you know, that was driven by demand density, right? So where are the homes for our residential, right? Where's the density of those? We look at airports, right? As we add in our airline customers, you know, New York, Chicago, Boston, Dallas, Atlanta, as you know, major hubs, and then they have all the, you know, they have all the rest of those, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Philadelphia, making sure we get all those hubs, Houston, Catter. So there's, you know, there, so you definitely have banks of aircraft coming in and out. And so when we designed our satellites, we always make sure that we've got the right amount of density. And when we sign up an airline, we sign up a service level agreement to deliver a service. We don't expect, oh yeah, we're going to serve it. Don't worry, we'll serve it everywhere but your hub, right? That wouldn't make much sense, right? Oh, I don't have enough over land. If I have enough everywhere else, so don't worry. That would be a bad outcome. And so the, the right outcome is basically we serve the demand wherever it's at. And it just turns out, you know, you could look at it. You know, Mark showed that, I think, in you know, one of the investor briefings, kind of where the demand density is, you know, sort of passenger miles, you know, as a function of geography. And Go, you know, you you'd expect it. It's at you know, it's around all the major busy international airports, domestic airports around the world. So we've designed for that. We've we've managed to that. It is time of day, and it's what's great about being in a company like Viasat with you know our residential demand as well, right on top of that, right. So we we you know we're able to manage kind of both demands, often that are countercyclical, meaning you know when one demand peaks, the other one ebbs, and vice versa. So it allows us to sort of serve multiple peaks without having to have double the amount of bandwidth in some cases. But for the most part, it's really, I'd say it's, you know, Mark, you know, it's Mark's design, you know, Mark and team, you know, we're really looking at where the demand density is at and designing a system that keeps up because that's really the answer. Yeah. And, I, and I've heard him talk about, uh, you know, that as well and how, uh, you know, those hubs that you mentioned, it's just like, there's a lot of just traffic there. And that's when people tend to be checking, checking their phones, you know, right after they've yeah. taken off or landed. And and so, yeah, and, have it there. and there's also events, right? Yeah. There's like what they call IROPs, right? So it's irregular operations, right? You might have a, a ground hold in one airport. And so you might have a lot of folks, you know, sitting on the tarmac or runway or at the gate. And, you know, they, they want to have access, right? They're there. So you have a high concentration. So you'll be able to serve those periods as much as you can serve just the normal everyday business as usual, flights in, flights out. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we want to serve all the natural demand. We don't want to make the aircraft something different than the ground, right? We like it to be seamless, right? When you kind of walk from the airport, you know, from home to the car, to the train, to the airport, you know, to the airport itself, to the airplane, you know, you really shouldn't notice the degradation and quality. It should just continue. And, you know, we're one node in that, but we're, you know, pretty proud to be a pretty important node of that because we're the connector. We're kind of that fabric that gets you from New York to LA. Yeah. 
All right. Well, switching gears again, I want to talk about low Earth orbit constellations uh, or LEOs. They've been grabbing headlines in the space industry a lot and have also been mentioned as an option for in-flight connectivity. So, you know, we're known for our high orbit geostationary satellites, you know, what we call geos, but we're also exploring LEOs and especially how they might work with geos to create a, a hybrid network, uh, you know, a best of both worlds thing. So how do you view all this in relation to in-flight connectivity? Yeah. So, I mean, well, first, it's not surprising that they're looking at that market, right? I think we've proven, we've been trailblazers proving it's a valuable market that's uh, hard to serve, but if you could serve it, you know, there's a lot of demand and it should be continued demand. So it's not, you know, it's not surprising. There's a lot of others looking at that, but when you kind of come in, it's not, for us, it's not one size fits all, right? I kind of go back to those first principles, you know, where's a high demand, high peak demands, and what's my best way of serving that, right? That's when the system fails, is when there's not enough demand. We've heard the Leos sort of talk about an attribute of latency, you know, which is they're closer to Earth, so the, you know, so the laws of physics, the speed of light kind of get you there sooner. It's a relevant feature, but it doesn't solve, you can't solve for overcoming peak demand. If you don't have enough supply to serve peak demand, latency is not gonna help you. What's gonna help you is having the right capacity in the right spot. Now, it doesn't mean latency doesn't have its place. There's certain applications that are latency sensitive, right, for a very small portion of it. So we think of latency as more of Leo's as more of a complementary system, right? Where I can be able to, you know, have have most of my high demand traffic being just you know distributed by the lowest productivity, or the highest productivity means, which in our case was all cases we believe is geo, right? The way we're designing them, we have yet to see a Leo system designed at the same productivity curves that our geos are going that are currently on and are going to be expanding to in the future. But if you want to have some software-defined WAN, some SD-WAN capability and do hybrid, we think it's very complementary, right? You have holes, right? Some spots where Geo may not cover and Leo might be better. You have some low latency applications where you can serve you know, your high demand streaming and video and downloads over the, you know, where most of the data is coming through over Geo, but some high latencies uh, like those gaming, uh, you know, those shoot up games is very latency sensitive, right? So you maybe have those go over that, the low latency channel but the bulkier data is going over the you know, high capacity data channels. So for us, you know, we see them coming. We don't think it's an either or. We think it's a complementary system that the two work together. Yeah, it's interesting that the latency gets that attention because uh, when you think about our satellites from our original Wild Blue service, I think the first one was was capable of doing two gigabits per second and then seven, and then I think Visat one was 140, and Visat two was right, yeah. 260. Yeah. And now each of these Visat three satellites coming up that we'll talk about are, are a, basically a thousand or a terabit yeah. per second. Yeah. So it's, that's what it's all about. You know, that's how you can serve video and have people, uh, everybody on the plane, being able to get that service. Yeah, you're spot on, Alex. That is the productivity curve, right? That we're marching up, and we're we're not stopping at Visat three. So that's you know that's kind of the name of the game. Latency is an interesting question because, you know, we first came out air-to-ground system using cell towers, you know, transmitting from aircraft straight to ground was very low latency. That was a predominant IFC service in North America here when we, we got into service. And so it was low latency. It was the lowest latency you can get. But yet it, it didn't serve the needs because it didn't have enough capacity, right? So its failure wasn't, you know, its, its, its failure was too much demand, not enough supply. And latency didn't help solve that problem. So that particular company actually went to geosatellites to help solve their problem. So again, it's a good study, just sort of, you know, it's a little bit old now, but it's still a good reminder of what problem are you trying to solve and what, 
you know, what attribute are you using to solve that problem? All right. Getting back to Viasat 3, we're getting uh, closer to the launch of this uh, global ultra-high capacity Viasat 3 constellation. So what does all that additional capacity and coverage mean for our airline customers? I, I imagine they're uh, getting excited about it. Yeah, they're getting excited, right? Well, a lot of them are planning on it, right? I mean, so they, when we entered the market, again, I kind of go back to <laughs> eight, 10 years ago, you know, there was a lot of promises made by a lot of suppliers that didn't come through, right? We were probably being held skeptical of that, right? But we hadn't even launched Viasat 1 yet. You're talking mm. about the 140 gigabits. So could we really do that? What does that matter? I think we've proven it now, Viasat 1, Viasat 2, now Viasat 3, everyone's bought it in the roadmap. They trust Viasat. They know what's going there. So it, it's expected, right? So my aircraft are flying farther, right? These, the new breed of narrow bodies out of the, from Airbus are the Neos and the Maxes out of, out of Boeing, A220s out of Canada. They're, all those are longer and longer range aircraft. So you have narrow bodies flying longer and longer. So we're not going to be constrained to, say, a geographic boundary like the continental United States. We're going to go to South America, where you know wide bodies are demanding the same service that aero bodies are getting. So we've launched Viasat 3. Not only is it to keep up with what we've already are delivering, we keep expanding on that, right? We talked about the you know usage rates going up 15, 20% a year for just natural demand per unit. There's more people wanting to get online. There's more aircraft coming online. There's more, and now they're flying longer distances. And so part of it is just allowing us to continue to add scope add features to our to our airlines. You know, they want to do things like distributing, you know, content. You know, so we distribute kind of touchless content around to all of our airlines that have our wireless IP product. They want to do, you know, live television. They want to, you know, basically serve every passenger free, talking about that trend to free, mm-hmm. as that demand's going to go higher and higher. So Viset 3 expands geographically, expands density, and it just keeps up with the growing demand and allows us to serve more and where we're at today and more in the future. Right. And then, of course, there's uh, right behind that, Viaset 4, uh, waiting in the wings yeah. to, to keep building on that. So, yeah, keep kind of going up that productivity curve, right? So, that's, you mm. know, we're not kind of at the end of the arc here of productivity. And that's it. It's, you know, there's still a lot more to, to get out of you know, what we're doing and our investments in there. And, you know, again, the bet we made that was it's how much supply you have for the demand. And right now, we think demand outstrips supply. So, we are trying to increase the supply and also increase the productivity of that supply. So it's at the best economics against the alternative means that an aircraft or a person might have. Right. Well, you know, it sounds like uh, your team has a great handle on uh, creating that on the ground, like experience in the air. Uh, and there's still, you know, a lot of, a lot more aircraft to connect, but what would you say is the next phase of connectivity in the sky beyond like just creating that pipe? Wow, it's you know this is exciting, Alex. Yeah, this is kind of the point that I've been <laughs> the team's been working so hard at right. Ten years into this, uh, even more than that, probably this is twenty twenty two. Yeah, we've been at this quite a while. You know, this is where it gets exciting, right? So the first part, as you said, was just proving that we can do a pipe, proving that the pipe's useful, proving we can do that. And there's demand for it. Now it's building on top of that, right? So you think of some of the things we've done in the past. I mentioned Apple Music, TikTok live TV, you know, basically entertainment as a, you know, connectivity as a proxy for entertainment. You know, we're seeing that in our living rooms, right? You hear about this phenomenon of, of cutting the cable. We didn't cut TV out of our living room. What we did was we cut how we get it. Right. So now we're, you know, now we're subscribing to multiple streaming channels and those are now portable, right? So I could take those with me. And so I want to watch the, you know, if I've got Paramount Plus, I want to be able to watch the, you know, March Madness tournament coming up, maybe sitting on a tarmac or in flight. I want to catch up on the latest Yellowstone. I want to catch up on the latest Netflix. You name it. 
And so there's, there, there's sort of that catch up there. There's the live aspect of it. There's the promotion piece of it, right? So this is a really exciting piece where, you know, when we, when we talk about promotions, right? You have a lot of, you know, I mentioned these streaming services, a lot of them are competing for our attention, you know, us as consumers' attention, right? right. And what better spot to get someone to try your product to, hey, here's a free trial on flight. You got the next two hours, four hours, eight hours, you name it. Go try, go browse our library, go try the service, see how it works. You can sign them up and you might be able to capture a customer, right? Which then has a recurring subscription fee for those subscribers. So it's a great acquisition channel and try channel and brand awareness channel. So there's some really exciting things to explore there. There's free Wi-Fi, right? There's sometimes you might participate with a local airport. You know, there's some, you know, try before, you know, basically do some actions in e-commerce, watch a video, watch an ad in exchange for getting free Wi-Fi, right? So there's some of those exchanges that we see kind of happen all the all the time, right? Especially like a broadcast TV here in the United States, you know, it's ad supported, right? So we get free television, but you know, we do it in exchange for watching ads. Those are really exciting, right? And those are just creating new business models, creating a new value proposition, not only for the airline, but also for their passengers, right? You know, if the passengers don't want it, then it's not going to work. So we need to discover that, right? If it's annoyance or it's bad service, no one's going to want it, right? We haven't created value. But if we can create value there, I think there's a kind of a win-win-win situation. And then, you know, beyond that, what really gets me excited is, is kind of what we're taking sort of, now you sort of bring in some of the algorithmic things we're doing, right? Helping the airlines, whether it be getting, you know, applications to their crew, um, getting some predictive maintenance, right? I would like, I could foresee the day when, you know, we've got so much data coming off the aircraft for our components. We know so much about them. We can tell you when and where they're going to fail. And so now you can just sort of put all, all of your LRU maintenance into a scheduled removal, let's say, at a C-check, right? Because we've sort of got that dialed in. So we keep up time. We keep the, the airline from flying, you know, now, now they can concentrate on flying the planes and keeping airplane safety. And not have to worry about the amenity services like ours. So those are just things that we, you know, that we continue to go in there. There's a lot of third parties coming in trying to bring other value-added apps, right? And so we have storage, we have CPU, we have connectivity. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we can bring to the aircraft in partnership with an ecosystem that's really going to drive value. So it's, you know, get operational leverage for the airlines and ultimately for their passengers, right? They're a better airline, and all that value kind of creeps down to their passengers and their shareholders. So I'd say I'm really I'm excited about what we've done to date. I'm ecstatic about what's ahead of us. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting. I mean, you think about all the things that you could be doing on on an aircraft to kind of you know, the savvy travelers, usually it's all about kind of smoothing the path ahead and, and being online is really helpful with that. So you could see like setting up tours or an Uber or anything like while you're still on the, on the plane. Yeah. Just, yeah. And kind of marrying up that sort of terrestrial experience and that, you know, you shouldn't have a different experience in the air, right? You're, you are traveling, right? So you know a lot about it, but it shouldn't be like you've entered a different atmosphere <laughs> by yeah. just being on a plane. Right. So you can connect up all those things, you know, you're transiting through, right? You can get help in the, you know, if I'm transiting, you know, say, Chengai Airport, you know, I can be online and get directions on where to eat, where to shop, where to get rest, you know, while I'm in my two or three or four hour layover, you know, so you, and you can do a lot of things and the merchants can participate, right? They can connect with the passengers ahead of them coming to the airport instead of hoping that they walk by the shop, right? So you can just sort of, you know, think of the boundless opportunities to bring value to not just the passengers and the airlines, but also the whole ecosystem around travel. Yeah, it's a, it's a brave new world ahead. So, you know, you have uh, been very busy in the last, uh, like you said, almost 10 years, but uh, it sounds like things are going to be getting even busier. So 
good luck uh, getting all these planes connected and uh, with the Viasat 3 going up and all that. It's going to be uh, a wild ride, it sounds like. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's uh, the last 10 years was a wild ride. The next 10 is going to be even more fun. So looking forward to it. All right. Well, Don Butchman, thanks so much for being on the podcast and uh, come back soon to let us know what else is going on. Yeah, don't be a stranger, Alex. I mean, I, just, I don't want to be one and done. So now I got <laughs> okay. you in here. So. All right. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to the Viasat podcast. If you know someone you think would be interested in what you've heard on this episode, please share. You can always find the latest episodes on our blog at Viasat.com. And you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or just about anywhere you get your podcasts. 